0: The Italian American Mafia is perhaps the most iconic mafia group in history. The La Cosa Nostra spanned the entire country, running some of the most successful crime families. In 1946, a young man by the name of Jimmy Fratiano moved from Cleveland to Los Angeles. Fratiano had spent most of his life
1: immersed in crime. He spent his teenage life there, growing up seeing all these people with uh, money and status and respect. He joined in on lower-level burglaries and robberies, minor crime, and kind of worked his way up rather quickly.
0: When he arrived in L.A., he became close with L.A. crime boss Jack Dragna and was soon inducted into the L.A. crime family as a made
2: man. All the new inductees were in one room. They were taken out of this room one at a time and taken into another room, and in that room there was a long table with a sword and a gun crossed in the middle of it. Later on, Roselli runs down all the rules of the mafia and he warns him, he said, there's no pink slip to get out of here, and uh, you got, this is your life from here on out. Fratiano would gain the respect of many mobsters
0: and would eventually be trusted to carry out critical tasks.
3: In that culture, he was an admired personality, and they knew that Jimmy could carry out just about whatever deed needed to be done. And of course, he proved uh, over the years that he was quite capable of doing that.
0: But as the landscape of the LA crime family changed, so did Fratiano's status. Disagreements with high-ranking members would put his life in danger, leading Fratiano to make a life-changing decision and switch sides. This is Mafia. Aladina James Jimmy Fratiano was born on November 14th, 1913 in a small town north of Naples, Italy. As an infant, his family emigrated to Cleveland, Ohio. His father left Italy first, and he and his mother followed soon after. Dennis MacDonald served as Fratiano's lawyer for 20 years, and he provides more information as to why the
3: family left Italy. Jimmy's father left the Naples area under some pressure. He was a... Uh, a a farmer, olive grower. At the time, there was a a great deal of anxiety among olive growers of the uh, price they were receiving, and many thought of those farmers, felt they were being uh, taken advantage of. There was a uh, murder in Naples, and it was immediately after that that uh, Jimmy's father left the area. When he arrived in the U.S., he ultimately ventured to Little Italy in Cleveland. Gary Jenkins is the host and producer
0: of the true crime podcast, Gangland Wire. He speaks more about Fratiano's
2: life growing up. They lived in an area called Murray Hill-Mayfield Road. This was also known as the hill, which was, of course, the Italian section, where all the newly arrived immigrants moved into. He had trouble at school from the first grade on, and shortly he was sent to the School for Bad Boys, Thomas Edison. It was here he'd form a lifelong friendship with Louis Babe Toscaro, who would later become an important teamster, and the underboss to the Cleveland family at one time. As he got older, Fratiano
0: fell out of love with his first name, says researcher and screenwriter Ray Tracy.
1: He thought it was a Broad's name, quote-unquote. And uh, he wouldn't appreciate it, to say the least, if someone called him by that name. So no one ever did. He began going by the name
0: James, or Jimmy. Some say he did this in an attempt to Americanize himself. Growing up in Cleveland, Jimmy Fratiano
3: was introduced to crime from a young age. So Jimmy grew up with a group of people that became infamous in the La Cosa Nostra, including uh, the Lecavoli family, who ultimately ran the family uh, in Cleveland, but also was close to a number of people that ultimately ended up in Chicago. I think that's
1: kind of where Jimmy got his desire amongst uh, seeing the crime bosses and people in Little Italy, uh, the people who had the money, people who had the status, something that he desperately wanted in that life. And I think that really pushed him at a young age to really get into it, which, you know, looking back is kind of an odd goal in life. But for Jimmy, it wasn't. It was just something he wanted to do. It was a career move and something he was really actually, I mean, in a weird way, he was kind of born to do. Fratiano
0: began his life of crime by stealing
1: fruit
2: off of fruit carts, which led to his peculiar nickname. As a kid, Fratiano was known to be a thief. It was reported that he got his nickname the Weasel from a time when he was at an open-air market stealing I think an apple or something. Cops started chasing him. And he was so quick, he would come in and out in between people,
1: running through the crowd, That he'd get away from the police. And one of the police officers infamously called him. He, he runs like a weasel. So that's kind of the nickname that stuck with him through the years.
2: The police officer wrote that down in a report, and it seemed to stick, although people never called him that to his face. He was known as Jimmy the Weasel, behind his back and to the cops and the newspapers the rest of his life. Fratiano soon moved on from petty theft and began immersing himself in the criminal underworld. During Prohibition, like many aspiring young gangsters, and he was an aspiring young gangster at age 13, he got a job in a speakeasy. He would later say that this exposure to men drinking away their paychecks and all their other alcohol-related problems caused him to never want to drink too much.
1: He spent his teenage life there, growing up, seeing all these... People with uh, money and status and respect. He joined in on lower-level burglaries and robberies, minor crime, and kind of worked his way up rather quickly.
3: As he became a teenager, he was involved in some minor burglaries, some robberies, teenage gang, kind of, I don't want to make light of it and call it mischief, but not really serious crimes, but certainly laid the foundation for what became uh, in his later life as a way of looking at the world. It was his path to success, and it just happened that many of his friends as a youngster and as a teenager became involved in the La Cosa Nostra many years later.
0: By now. Jimmy Fratiano was cementing his place among Cleveland's criminal population, much to the dismay of his parents.
1: His parents were not supportive. His dad, you know, you can imagine how upset they were. They moved from Italy to Cleveland to get away from this and thinking they're going to a place that's safe in America and have a fresh life. And their son is right in it. You know, it's almost like he's magnetically charged to that kind of life.
0: The young Fratiano would frequently hang out at the Italian-American Brotherhood Club in Cleveland, where he met countless men involved in the mob. While the club itself was not intended to be a mafia social club, it was operated by Tony Milano, who would go on to be an underboss of the Cleveland mafia family. Jimmy Fratiano would go on to cross paths with several infamous mobsters, many of whom he became friends with. Men like Mickey Cohen, Louis Triscaro, and even Lucky Luciano. He started
1: expanding out a little bit while he was in his formative years and actually made friends with Lucky Luciano. They had a small racket out in Hialeah, Florida with horse betting, horse racing. And it was, uh, you know, looking back in history, it's one of those amazing things that he would happen to be there and a part of, but he and Lucky and a few others would essentially climb a tree and they would, uh, their racket was, they would watch the live horse race results as they happened in Florida and phone New York. So guys could place bets on those horses because there was such a delay between, you know, real time and, and by the time they got the results in. So they'd made some money that way. He got his first car that way. And it was something that I think he got a real taste of, uh, the money that came with that for the first time. In
0: 1936, Fratiano attempted to start his own gambling ring, but soon realized it was easier to rob other games. With his friends Anthony Del Santer, also known as Tony Dope, and Frank Valenti,
2: Fratiano began to hit unprotected high-stakes games. Jimmy knew you did not hit a protected game, you were in trouble if you hit a protected game. However, one of these hits went sideways, and Jimmy
0: Fratiano landed himself in the Ohio Penitentiary for eight years.
2: Jimmy can thrive anywhere. He got himself transferred to a minimum security farm, became a star on the Warden's baseball team. This is 1937 when he first arrived, and he spends all of World War II in the penitentiary and gets out in 1945. During that time, he
1: never ratted out anybody that he had worked for or did his crime with beforehand. So he earned a lot of respect when uh, he went to prison and served his time and didn't rat out anybody there.
0: After his release, Jimmy Fratiano began looking for new ventures in the criminal underworld. His loyalty to his fellow mobsters had earned him a good reputation, and he was
2: ready to move on to bigger and better things. Right after he gets out, his old friend, Babe Trisco, who's the business agent for a Teamster local, gives him a fake job, saying that he's running some kind of food canteens for his parole officer. At the same time, he's pulling some really good robberies and puts together some money, and he and his wife and baby decide they need to go to California. He's met a Chicago outfit guy who tells him, if you go to California, you need to connect up with a guy named Johnny Roselli.
3: He found himself involved with people that he would describe as cheap thugs. For those reasons and for opportunities on the West Coast, he looked elsewhere and he became known to the Chicago family through acquaintances, some of which that he grew up with. So he wanted out and he was encouraged by folks in Chicago to move to the West Coast. Later, uh, he became the appointment for the Chicago family, and even later was formally transferred as an associate to the Los Angeles uh, family. In 1946,
0: 33-year-old Jimmy Fratiano moved from Cleveland, Ohio, to Los Angeles, California. When he arrived in LA, he set up a bookmaking operation and aligned himself with Mickey Cohen's syndicate.
2: However, he would soon change his loyalties. He gets out to California and forms friendships with other uh, Italian mobsters out there, and there is a crime family in southern in Los Angeles area. He connects with Jack Dragna, who is the boss. He connects with a San Diego mobster named Frank the Bump Bomponcero who was kind of the the underboss or a capo who ran the San Diego crew, and he and the Bump will become good friends and trust each other and and do a lot of business together over the years. Fratiano changed his allegiance and joined the L.A. crime family, led by Jack
0: Dragna. In 1947, Fratiano finally met Johnny Rosselli, who had been serving a prison sentence when Fratiano arrived in L.A.
2: He had spent some time for extorting money from Hollywood production studios. He's come back to Southern California and they meet at a place called Dago Luis. Fratiano claims that after that meeting with Roselli, he will vouch for him for the Los Angeles family.
0: Roselli had a lot of influence in the LA crime family and
3: would agree to sponsor Fratiano's membership into the family. He and Johnny Roselli were, were close. In that culture, he was an admired personality, and they knew that Jimmy could carry out just about whatever deed needed to be done. And, of course, he proved uh, over the years that he was quite capable of doing that. Jimmy Fratiano would soon prove his worth and
0: earn
2: his status as a made man within the L.A. crime family. Jimmy tells exactly how he was made into the Los Angeles family in his testimony from the President's Commission on Organized Crime. Claims that there were several other men getting made that day. They were all instructed to go to a winery. There was uh, two separate rooms. All the new inductees were in one room. They were taken out of this room one at a time and taken into another room. And in that room, there was a long table with a sword and a gun crossed in the The middle The entire Los Angeles family of 40 to 50 men were there to witness. Jack Dragna stood up, and all the men stood up, locked arms. Dragna said some words in Italian, then picked up the sword and used it to prick some blood from Fradiano's finger. Dragna then introduced him to each of the men. They all kissed each other on the cheek. Then he goes out, and he meets with Roselli. Later on, Roselli runs down all the rules of the Mafia, and he warns him. He said, there's no pink slip to get out of here, and uh, you, you got, this is your life from here on out. Around
0: the start of the 1950s, Dragna developed a rivalry with Mickey Cohen, who was attempting to form his own crime family. Cohen had taken over for mobster Bugsy Siegel after he had been murdered.
2: Mickey Cohen just carried on with Siegel's gambling business like nothing happened. And uh, Dragna really wanted to take that over. He figured once uh, Bugsy was out of the way, he could take over all of his loan sharking and gambling business.
0: As a result... Dragna's gang attempted several hits on Cohen's life.
1: Fratiano was a part of several of these hits. One of the stories that I remember is Jimmy uh, and his wife, Jewel, and his his, uh, daughter, Annette, going to see Mickey Cohen, having a nice meal. And when they walked out, his wife and his daughter obviously didn't know this, but he arranged for several... uh, hitman outside to kill Mickey Cohen right after he left. So he signaled them to do that. And Bomponcero was involved in that. And just speaking to Mickey's dumb luck as as Jimmy would call it. Bomponcero handed off a shotgun to one of the hitmen and the hitman grabbed the shotgun wrong and accidentally blew his own head off right there on the street. The shot the shotgun going off on the street, you know, Jimmy's wife and daughter yelling and screaming. You know, Jimmy shaking his head like he can't win and and the rest of the guys storming into the building. And all Jimmy remembers seeing is watching Mickey Cohen running down the alleyway outside the building, just running his little heart out, knowing and Jimmy knowing that he's going to get away with it. He's going to get out and he's you know, they're not going to get him.
3: I think there were 11 attempts on Mickey's life. And uh, on one occasion, uh, they, uh, they were going to kill Mickey with a bomb. They put enough uh, dynamite under Mickey's bed at his home in the, in the basement. And, and uh, as Jimmy would, uh, uh, would tell you, uh, the bugger got drunk that night and fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> Meanwhile, the bomb went off and the uh, bedroom was uh, sent into orbit and Mickey was just fine. Dragna and
0: his gang never were able to kill Mickey Cohen, but in 1951, Mickey Cohen was sent to jail for tax evasion, effectively ending the rivalry. Then, in 1951, Jimmy Fratiano took part in one of the most iconic hits of the L.A. crime family. In the summer of 1951, two members of the L.A. crime family, Anthony Brancato and Anthony Trombino, also referred to as the Two Tonys, carried out an unsanctioned robbery of a hotel and casino called the Flamingo. However, the Two Tonys were sloppy and were identified and arrested after the incident. Dragna believed the Two Tonys were drawing too much attention to the L.A. crime family and approached Fratiano and another mobster named Charlie Battaglia, Bats, to
3: carry out the hit jimmy by that time had a reputation of being someone with a great deal of uh, loyalty uh, someone that could be trusted someone that had encountered the legal arm of uh, both folks in in cleveland and really was starting to become known around the country but with uh, members of the La Cosa Nostra, they would describe Jimmy as uh, having undying loyalty, a strength and a commitment that was unusual. And it's probably for those reasons that Nick Licata in Los Angeles wanted Jimmy to take on the contract to hit Brancato in Prombino. And Jimmy saw that as an opportunity and accomplished the uh, hit and he knew thereafter that he would no longer be seen as a a thug or a uh, small-time criminal. He saw it as his opportunity to make his name across the country and indeed it did.
0: After the two Tonys were released on bail, they were desperate for money. Fratiano took advantage of this.
2: He had Sam Lazis set up a meet with Trombino and Brancato. When they meet, they tell Fratiano they'd been arrested in the Flamingo sportsbook robbery and they needed money for their lawyers. Fratiano tells them he can help, and he knew where there was a high-stakes poker game that wasn't protected, and he had set it up, but they'll help him rob him. Said there'd be as much as $40,000 if they'd all three split. Well, their greed got the better of them, and they let down their antenna. Both of them agreed.
0: Fratiano got to work setting everything in motion for the hit. First, he talked to fellow LA mobster, Nick Licata.
3: He knew he needed an alibi, and Nick Licata was to provide that at uh, his diner where he was going to put on a uh, fish fry that night and uh, Jimmy uh, allegedly would be there uh, all evening.
0: With an alibi in place, Fratiano and Bats went to meet up with the unsuspecting Tonys.
2: They then take two separate cars to the supposed poker game and they were gonna meet the two Tonys who arrive in their own car there. Frediano and Charlie Battaglia or Charlie Bats exit their car and enter the back seat of the Two Tonys car.
1: Jimmy knew, Charlie was new, and this was a big deal. This is a close range hit, you know, the Two Tonys sit in the front seat, uh, Jimmy and Charlie are in the back seat and they have, you know, they have their guns. Jimmy knows that this may or may not work with Charlie. So they end up getting into the car with the two Tonys sitting in the backseat. They're ready to move on to this phony hit set up in order to get the two Tonys in the car. And so Jimmy pulls out his gun, shoots multiple rounds in, into one of the Tonys and Charlie pulls his gun and freezes, never shoots, never fires. And Jimmy starts screaming at him because he realizes that the other Tony, you know, he can get if he gets his wits together. They could, they could have some serious problems. Their lives are in danger too. So he starts screaming at Charlie to shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. He never does. So Jimmy ends up doing that as well. Fratiano and his shaken bats then exited the car, returned
0: to their own vehicle, and drove back to Nick Locata's diner in order to
3: keep their alibi. Jimmy uh, ended up committing both murders and uh, tried to hide the fact that Charlie Bats had froze because Jimmy knew if word got out that that occurred, it would be the end uh, of uh, of Bats. He liked the kid and
1: kind of covered for him in that respect. So, uh, But it was a famous hit. You can still see it online today. There's pictures all over the internet about it. But it was one of Jimmy's first really big uh, hits and, and how he ultimately became a member of uh, La Cosa Nostra. In the days after the murders of the two Tonys, police
0: immediately suspected Jimmy Fratiano.
2: The cops seem to know the next day exactly what happened because all three of them are arrested. They have a secret witness and they take Fratiano and Battaglia back to the crime scene about the same time of night and they ask Fratiano to recreate a run across the street from one car to the other and he refused to do it saying he's injured and can't run.
0: Their alibi proved to be airtight, and Fratiano and Bats were released. It would not be until years later that the truth would come out. Then, in 1954, Fratiano was arrested on extortion charges. He served six and a half years before being released. In 1956, the L.A. crime family gained a new boss following the death of Jack Dragna from a heart attack. A man by the name of Frank Simone was voted in shaking up the crime family in the process. Fratiano was not a fan of Di Simone, and distanced himself from the L.A. crime family. He transferred to the Chicago outfit, but continued to live in California. He also remained active in California and Las Vegas, and continued to stay close to Frank Bompensaro. Di Simone was disliked by a majority of the L.A. family during his time as boss, with many sharing Fratiano's view that Di Simone was an incompetent leader. Di Simone remained in power for 11 years until his death in 1967. He was succeeded by Nick Locata. After distancing himself from the LA family, Fratiano began working for the San Francisco crime family. However, he would eventually return to LA. In the next episode, Jimmy Fratiano became associated with the San Francisco Mafia,
1: but there was friction between him and their crime boss, James Lanza. The two of them never got along. Jimmy didn't respect him, Lanza didn't like how much attention Jimmy brought to San Francisco. I think uh, Jimmy said all he does is sell insurance and olive oil, he doesn't do anything else. So there's just very
3: little respect between them.
0: Fratiano would continue to have conflicts with several of the LA
3: mob bosses. He had a falling out with Lanza and with Brooklier and Shorantino of L.A. Jimmy had no respect for those guys. Uh, He told me at great length he viewed them as, in his words, punks. Part of the Mickey Mouse Mafia, he would describe them as people that never did any work and probably couldn't. So he had a a very low opinion of them.
0: Then, when L.A. crime boss Dominic Brooklier was sentenced to 20 months in prison, Jimmy Fratiano received a
2: proposal. The position of co-acting boss out in L.A. The government got a conviction on Air for extortion, he was going inside for a few years. He wanted to promote Jack Dragna's nephew Louis Dragna to be the acting boss while he was away. Now, Louis Dragna didn't really want to, he didn't really want the responsibility or to have to take the heat. Now, the story goes that he agreed to this only if Jimmy Fradiano would agree to be his co-acting boss. However, events
0: after his reign, as co-boss would lead to threats on his life
3: causing Fratiano to change sides and alter history. So it didn't take a genius to understand that uh, something uh, was going on uh, in Jimmy's life and his relationship with the LA family that was significant. This has been
0: Mafia, an Audioboom original series, hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. It is produced by Boom's Lauren Vogel, Blair Payton, Pam Burrows, Karen Bevan, and Rachel Jacobs. Executive producers for Audio Boom are Brendan Regan and Stuart Last. Special thanks to Gary Jenkins, Dennis McDonald, and Ray Tracy for providing expert insight for this episode. Follow Mafia on Spotify, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.